Coming up, I'm back in the New York groove as yours truly prepares for an epic podcast week. On deck, I'll discuss the following. Coach K falls one game short of a championship as UNC is on the cusp of another title versus number one Kansas. The Mets are still the Mets. Tiger, a game time decision to play in the Masters. A Laker epitaph before the final regular season game. The NHL Florida Panthers, are they the team to beat? I'll have that and a birthday recap from my trip to the Bay Area. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? It's happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. Another month has begun as I get set to enter a new era of the podcast. I'm glad you stopped by to get your first of two doses of sports analysis, opinions, and entertainment every week moving forward as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. No more episode numbers unless I highlight the milestones along the way. In fact, this would have been episode 245. Well, technically it is. But with 250 just five away, no more dates to discuss as you already know what day it is upon the release of the podcast. But for those tuning in for the very first time, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for quite some time or from the very beginning, I welcome you guys and gals back. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what's expected on this podcast is as follows. Is Tiger Woods on the verge of coming all the way back from his near-fatal accident 14 months ago to play in Augusta this Thursday? I'll get into what may be going on between his ears as the Masters jumpstarts the first of four major golf tournaments this year, as well as what's happening in baseball. And boy, those baseball gods are testing the patience of yours truly and the strength of Met fans throughout the tri-state area and beyond. And the season hasn't even begun. With Max Scherzer unlikely to pitch on opening day and with Jacob deGrom already on the shelf for four weeks, it doesn't look like it's going to be a great start for the Amazons. So you know I have to share my two cents with that. I'll get into what's going on in baseball as we're just three days away from the opening day of, finally, a baseball season in 2022. 
And as for the NBA, we know that the Lakers have been the biggest disappointment by far in the association. But are they the biggest disappointment of all time for a team with high expectations coming in to just literally fall flat on their faces as they're now two games behind the 10th spot in the Western Conference? A lot to get into there. And I get it that the Lakers, they're always going to be a story. But even more so as we head into the final week of the NBA season. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. All that and then some including my hero and zero of the week. This is a big week, as you well know, for those who have been following the podcast, and if this is your first time, I've put out a weekly podcast, occasionally twice a week, from the very start, going back to March of 2018, where I technically wanted to have my Monday show being a recap of what has transpired in the world of sports over the past week, and then on Thursday would be scheduled for a special guest to come on to share their experiences, whether they're a former or current athlete the broadcaster, studio host, etc. But now as we enter April and as we enter into the best sports month of the year, I felt it was apropos for me to expand the podcast to now go from my weekly Monday podcast to now twice a week. And the second one being on Thursday afternoon, roughly around, I will say between 12 and 2. But you will know that In the weeks, months, and God willing years to come, you will get to hear me twice. And I do plan to have that special guest pop in from time to time. As you well know or may not know, I am a solo independent artist that's doing this all by his lonesome. No interns. I do not have a staff or a team that supports and puts all their beliefs in me to put forth this podcast each and every week. So with me having to be pretty much the jack of all trades when it comes to not only producing, hosting, editing, writing this podcast, releasing it, as well as market it, advertise it, whatever it may take, this is an endeavor that, as you well know, I am ready to move forward doing two shows a week, but knowing that it is not easy to pretty much have all these hats and put forth this podcast to the point where it's going to get its popularity, it's going to get its visibility, of course, with your help, as you have been doing each and every week. But because I'm flying this ship by my lonesome, it is a challenge to try to get that guest on, to try to get them to be a part of the podcast, and I do plan to get some guests along the way, so I appreciate your patience throughout this time, whether you're just joining me or whether you've been a long listener of this podcast. So I just wanted to put that out there to let you guys know that even though twice a week and even shorter shows, because I feel as if I want to compact everything in one tidy hour. If I go a minute over or a couple of minutes less, that's fine. But one of the reasons why I'm expanding this endeavor is because I want this to be one concise hour, whether it's your commute to work during your lunch hour, maybe while you're at the gym cooking, cleaning, whatever it may be, I get it could be a slog to look at the timestamp of these podcasts and say, oh, Jay Reels is going an hour and a half, Jay Reels is going an hour and 35 minutes, an hour and 22 minutes, I get it, so one of the reasons, not the main reason why I decided to go twice a week is because of that, now if I have a guest that happens to share 
whatever time, sometimes it could go over an hour, that's a different story. Because they're giving their time to me, where in turn, I'm having their experiences or what they share on the field, court, diamond, press box, broadcast booth, in the studio. Whatever time they give me and whatever they're willing to share, I'm going to flip that to you guys. So whether that's a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour and a half, so be it. But as far as me going about my business, talking about what it is that I love, one hour I feel is tidy enough and for us to move along week in, week out with not just one but two shows a week to double your pleasure, so to speak, as we cover everything that's happening in sports. And before I get to that, I want to share the past week briefly because I turned 53 last Thursday, March 31st. I was away from New York City, which was a pleasure and treasure because as we know, winter, which wasn't too bad, but to be able to get away, go out to the West Coast, get some sunshine, some beautiful weather, which it was my very first time being out in San Francisco. I had been to Los Angeles and San Diego and Southern California, but to get to Northern California for about five days was stupendous. And being in San Francisco for my birthday, visiting that city for the very first time, it was not only just beautiful as far as the weather goes, but to the eye and even for the health, and I'm talking about it from a physical standpoint, it was A+. Just being able to walk around the city to see all the different structures, it has a lot of character, a lot of charm, the hills are just unbelievable no matter where you're at. You could be at the bottom of a street looking up and you just see hills where it looks like forever. And then when you're on the top, not only do you get a chance to look down at these streets, but then you look across as far as the eye could see, mountains, bridges, buildings, homes. It is just a delight. If you're a guy like me coming from the East Coast where all you see is concrete everywhere, especially here in New York City, to get some vistas of mountains and trees and just beautiful streets and structures. It was an escape that I couldn't even imagine being in a big city like San Francisco to kind of take that all in was more than I ever expected. Not only that, but the way that people were in the city, of course, people are going to be kind anytime you get outside of New York City, but You see people walking their dogs, people running, jogging, biking. It's a very health-oriented city, which is right up my alley. And even though people were discussing, you got to watch out for the homeless, and you got to watch out for certain characters, and whatever it may be. And I drove around San Francisco a lot this past Thursday, and yes, I did see a smattering of that, but it wasn't an overabundance. It wasn't as if every corner or every block, or even when I was walking around, as I did walking up to Lombard Street, through Chinatown, through various popular neighborhoods, Height and Ashbury, when you think back to the 60s, when you think back to the music scene and the hippie era of the mid to late 60s into the 70s, it wasn't as if I was bombarded or, I don't want to go as far as saying I was disgusted, but just to the point where it's like, oh, I got to get out of here. It's just people panhandling or people asking for money or people in your face every five seconds that wasn't the case and I went to all the landmarks there and didn't get a chance to go over the Golden Gate Bridge which was one of the things I wanted to do as far as running is concerned but 
for that one day being in San Francisco, it was just gorgeous. I loved every second of it. And on top of that, my wife treated me like a king, which she always does, but because that was my 53rd birthday, she was just otherworldly, treated me magnificently, which I truly appreciate and show tons of gratitude towards her. And did I get on the trolley? I did not because to go about six to eight blocks to pay eight bucks, uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. I took a picture and some video and that was enough for me. I figured the exercise was better and why not when you're walking around that city? So I didn't get to do that. But to wrap this up, that was one of the best, if not the best birthday I've ever experienced here on God's Green Earth. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Also, one other thing. I love being on the West Coast for this reason as a sports fan. As it was 4 p.m. or 4.30, 5 o'clock out West. There are already games being played in the East and Central time zones. To where I almost had to double take on my first day there last Tuesday. To where games are already beginning. I'm looking at my phone and saying, oh, wait a minute. That's right. Games are starting. Makes me wish to be an NFL fan living on the West Coast because my day would be over about 8.30 p.m. Pacific time as opposed to 11.30 p.m. where after being bleary-eyed all day watching football and then I got to go to bed to get ready to wake up the next day to produce a podcast, it'd be a lot better if I were three hours behind having to wrap up an NFL day with a couple of hours before I get to go to bed. So that's the one bonus of being a sports fan living out in the Pacific time zone. And one other thing, I also have to shout out Jane and Damian Bartolo, their brilliant children, Dominic and Sophia, even their dogs, Red and Bassey, for their hospitality and generosity throughout the week as they went above and beyond to make us feel as if we were home. So to them, thank you twice, more than once, for making our stay. And our birthday, because Jane, which is my wife's best friend and who was the maid of honor of the wedding it was her birthday the day before mine so by making it even extra special to spend it with them and for them to take us in for those five days again gratitude thank you twice more than once for everything and I'm sure people are wondering all right Jay Reels it's been 10 minutes since you've started this podcast and let's get right to it I understand you had a birthday happy for you you enjoyed San Francisco your time out in the west coast Northern California was stellar, but let's get right to it. Let's get to the sports. And I'll do so in a minute. Because there were a couple of reasons or themes that tie into why I started off this pod in the first place. One, like I mentioned on last week's podcast, you know I'm always going to have my fingers on the pulse when it comes to what's going on in sports. But not to the extent where I'm going to be glued in front of a set, especially over the past five days where I was staying with whom I was staying, and of course with a birthday squeezed, or a couple of birthdays squeezed in between. So, I was unable to either watch any particular games, or whether it's from start to finish, or even partway through, halfway through, a majority of it, because I want to be true to you guys, and gals of course, and I'll always be true to the listener. So you know that I'm not trying to cut corners or dodge, pull a fast one or anything like that. Because my time away, yes, I'm going to pay attention to what's happening in the sports world, but not to the point where 
Yes, I was glued in front of a TV set hours on end watching whatever was being played that night. And as I mentioned before and second, now that I'll be producing and hosting podcasts twice a week, but not all the time, but occasionally I'll get into what's happening in my life as it ties into what it is that I love to do, to put forth that informative, entertaining, incredible podcast as I dish out my thoughts, opinions, analysis, etc. what's going on throughout the sports landscape. Because the more of me that you're going to get, the more that I may implement certain things in life. And if you've listened to the podcast going back to the beginning, I like to throw in a few little nuggets about life, about persevering, about getting through certain things. Obviously, we went through the beginning of the pandemic a couple of years ago at this time. And I know it was trying for everybody, all the racial tension and the social justice, especially during that year. And I always want to come across of a place of mindfulness, consciousness, awareness, not necessarily with just what's going on in the world or in this country, but just in even in your own little bubble. To make it as pleasurable, to make it as exciting, and yes, we're going to have those ups and downs, those tough days, etc. But, besides sports, there is a bigger picture. This is the toy store department of life. And, of course... We're all in this together. At least I believe or want to believe that that's the case. So every once in a while, you may get something of yours truly about me, whether it's not just a vacation, but maybe something that's going on with me. Not necessarily personally. I'm not going to air all my dirty laundry. I am going to be transparent. And like I said, true to the listener, especially when it comes to sports. But at the same time, I want to enlighten folks. Because as much as I appreciate you guys coming in to listen to what it is that I have to say about sports, but... We all know that whatever battles that we're fighting, we want to make sure to let's get through those tough times to pull ourselves through those fires and those valleys to get to those peaks. And you know that I'm all for it here to bring it to you on this platform. Obviously sports related and that's the priority and that's why you're here, but also to get us through whether I could share and shed some light on some positivity in whatever is happening with me. And not to say I want to highlight anything that's going on with me, but you get my point. I just want it to be a thing where you get a little bit of a dose of J Reels besides just being the podcast host that you hear week in and week out. So I'll segue that into what took place in New Orleans on Saturday night as the Final Four is now the last two standing. Where tonight a champion will be crowned and March Madness, which is now into April with the madness being over, And with a champion being crowned tonight, we look back to what took place on Saturday. And with everything that I said leading into sports, I did not watch a lot of the Final Four. And I even mentioned that last week that that was going to be the case. And you also got to remember, I was three hours behind where I would normally be in New York. So when the games were tipped off, I what, 6.07 was the first game? And it being 3.07 out in the West... I was in Santa Cruz over there by the boardwalk where there's an amusement park and games, food, the boardwalk, also the pier. In fact, when I was walking on that boardwalk, I thought to myself, didn't they film the movie Us here? And sure enough, that was, including a few other movies, I might add. But I did not see any sliver of the first game between Villanova and Kansas. And pretty much what you saw there was Kansas is on a mission to win a national title. Kansas has not had many bumps throughout this tournament. 
They pretty much played from in front throughout. And what you saw there on Saturday was pretty much the same of what you saw the previous four games. And Villanova, as we know, with their junior guard, Justin Moore, out with an Achilles and playing shorthanded as it is to begin with, it was going to be an uphill battle for Villanova to get themselves back to a national championship game. And it showed in their performance and how Kansas, although they don't have the great player, but they have a lot of good players and a lot of athletic players on top of that. So Kansas in a, I'm not going to say a cakewalk, but pretty much a smooth ride for the Jayhawks to get themselves in position to win a national title for the first time since 2008. And then all the talk leading up to Saturday's game was North Carolina and Duke, and rightfully so. We knew that this was going to be pretty much the game of all games when it comes to this rivalry. Obviously, the specter of Coach Mike Krzyzewski possibly being his last game. The battles that he's had over the years with the Tar Heels just eight miles down the road from where their campus is to where the University of North Carolina is. We know about the final game at Cameron Indoor where North Carolina went in and had a borderline dominant second half to cruise to a double-digit victory in Coach K's last home game. And then now on Saturday night in the nightcap, I was following this game on my phone for the first half to where Duke had a slim couple basket lead at the half. I believe it was 37-33. And then while I was in transit to go out to dinner that night with the aforementioned Bertolos and of course my lovely wife, we ended up going to an alehouse to where there were big screens everywhere. I was able to watch the last seven and a half minutes of the game to where Duke had a slim lead and it looked like it was going to come down to the wire. And mind you, of course, as much as I want to be glued to the TV, I have to be present with company that I'm with. I just can't separate myself from the family and from my wife to just say, hey, I got to watch the rest of this game. Although at one point I know my wife said, "Uh uh-oh, we lost them. But no, I was trying to be fair and also to let them know. It's like, hey, this is Duke, North Carolina. Thankfully, the first game wasn't a nail-biter. It wasn't anything to really write home about. But this one, I wanted to be as focused and as locked in to get a sense of what this game was coming down to its final few moments. And sure enough, as we watched it all unfold to where Armando Baycott, when he went out, not only with the injury for what seemed 10 seconds, and it looked like it was going to be a fatal blow for the Tar Heels' chance to win this game, but then also fouling out later on to where he had 11 points and 21 rebounds. But when we get to the big part of the game, and it was tooth and nail, back and forth, scratching and clawing to the very end, but it was the three-pointer with about 23 seconds to go by Caleb Love at 75-74, I believe. Him draining that three, that was the biggest shot of the game, and that pretty much set the Tar Heels to where the eighth seed in their region not only getting through their region and into the Final Four, but to the point where they beat Duke. And I'll talk about their chances against Kansas in a minute. But by them sending Coach K into retirement, the Tar Heels overcoming another second-half deficit to similar to what they did just four weeks ago against the Blue Devils in Cameron Indoor. And now they set the stage for tonight where the Jayhawks will go up against the Tar Heels, and we've seen this matchup before several times. 
especially in a Final Four setting, we can even go back to that 2008 season where North Carolina played Kansas, and that was the year that Kansas went on and won the national championship. The meltdown by Memphis, led by Derrick Rose, but of course the shot by Mario Chalmers that propelled Kansas into overtime, and then they won their championship then. As we talked about Bill Self going for his second national title game. But before we look ahead, I know Coach Kane, I didn't get a chance to see the post game. I'm sure he was bitterly disappointed as Coach K would only be, even if he lost to a high school team, he would still be stewing over it. But it was a terrific run when we look at how these games unfolded, especially them beating Michigan State the way they did in the second round game beating Texas Tech the way they did, and then upending Arkansas to get to this point. And this one, I'm sure it's going to sit with him pretty much for the rest of his living days on this earth because for them to... You could lose to North Carolina, and that's fine, but it's your bitter rival. And you know what happened there a month ago, as we've said, in the final home game in that building that seats about 9,000 crazy Cameron crazy fans that flock and fill that building. And to know that there's not going to be another game and another storyline for Coach K to put that cherry on top, I know it's bitter for the Duke fan. Thank God Duke's not there. I did not want to see them there, and I get it. It would have been great for the sport, and I'm sure the rating would have been through the roof if Duke would have won that game. But now you have North Carolina and Kansas, and how I look at this game is pretty much similar to what we saw in the Kansas-Villanova game. You have to wonder about the Baycott injury, how big that's going to be. We know Baycott's going to play. He said that unless his leg was literally chopped off his body, he's going to go in there and fight to the very end. And it looked like that leg, I don't know if it was a leg or a hamstring, it looked like he was grasping that hamstring there when he collided with a teammate there late in the game. But for Baycott who is going to be obviously huge in this game, and knowing that they do not have a lot of depth, similar to Villanova, that they're pretty much going to have to put out all five guys to play one last game, 38, 39, probably 40 minutes to get themselves past the finish line, where Kansas is very deep, and we see what they've done throughout this tournament up to this moment. And can Carolina win this game? Why not? They're in the game. They're playing with a lot of intensity. They're playing with a lot of vigor. But you got to wonder, with a late game, and it didn't go into overtime, but this, to me, is going to be comparable to last year with Gonzaga beating UCLA. Now, granted, that game went into overtime, but that was another hard-fought, even gut-wrenching type of game. Went down to the final Seconds of the game, as we saw Jalen Suggs hit the three-pointer at the buzzer, and then we saw what happened with Baylor. I kind of get the same feeling that we're going to see a repeat performance tonight, similar to what we saw last year. I could see North Carolina running out of gas. In Kansas, I could see them just, it'll be a track meet. Now, North Carolina, they're going to have to not play a plodding, half-court, slow-paced game But the last thing they want to do is run up and down the court for 40 minutes because that's where the depth, that's where the war of attrition, not only mentally, 
but physically, psychologically, and even spiritually could wear out fast if this game starts to get out of hand in the first half. And that's the one thing I worry. Now, I think if Carolina is within, I'm not going to say 10 points, if they're down by a few baskets as they were to Duke at the half, that'll be fine. Into the second half, if they get nowhere more than, I would say, even eight points, because once they get into double digits, and we understand basketball is a game of runs, but how much is going to be left in their tank if it's, for argument's sake, Kansas is up 40 to 34 at the half. And then it could be tooth and nail a little bit there at the start of the second half. But then as we get toward the halfway point of the second half, and now Kansas has, let's say, a 9-point lead, an 11-point lead, maybe even a 12-point lead. What's going to be in the tank for Carolina at that point? And yes, they may make a run. They may cut it to 6. But is that going to be too much for them to ask, considering what they've had to do to get to this point, and especially to beat their arch rivals there on Saturday night, and now they have to run it back to kind of keep themselves within arms distance to know that if they have a shot to beat Kansas they can't be no more than eight points and especially in double digits to be trailing in this game if they have a shot to win and that's how I look at this game in a nutshell I just see Kansas being the fresher team the deeper team can Carolina be in it let's say with 10 minutes to go down six down seven I could see that could they be up at that time The only way I see Carolina in the lead is that Kansas is turning the ball over, missing free throws, just playing sloppy, or maybe, dare I even say, played down to their opponent. And this is North Carolina. This isn't a team that was a double-digit seed, Cinderella, that came out of nowhere and they figured, ah, all we got to do is just tip the ball and just give us the trophy and we're the national champions. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I just see this being tough sledding for Carolina And it's not even a matter of what's going to happen in the first half. I think it's a thing where if Kansas starts going away in the first half, it's going to be their championship. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. But if Carolina can hang in there for one half and even into the second half to where, like I said, be within a couple of baskets, and I'm talking about a couple of threes, or a decent run, a 7-0 run, maybe even an 8-0 run, tops. But once it gets past that, To me, you can forget about it. I think Kansas is going to win. I'd like to see a competitive game. I'd like to see UNC fight to the bitter end, which I think they will. But again, Baycott's injury, that's going to be key. If he's going to be out for any significant time, you can forget it. Like I said, they're not a deep team, and Kansas is. So with that being said, I think Kansas is going to be your national champion at around 11.40 tonight, cutting down the nets in the Superdome. And one other thing I want to bring up, I got to give DAP to Dawn Staley winning her second national title on the women's side, beating UConn, thank God, because UConn to me, they're like the Duke of the men's game and UConn is the Duke of the women's game to where Gino Auriemma lost his first championship game ever. He was 11-0 in this spot. And with all the momentum that they had coming into this game, and they beat, I believe, Stanford there on Friday, well, Dawn Staley in South Carolina was not to be denied. They pretty much led 
from start to finish, I believe they started the game in a 16-2 run and it was way too much for UConn to withstand. So congratulations to the Gamecocks, to Dawn Staley, second title in five years. I've always been a fan of Dawn Staley going way back. So congratulations to her and their program for another championship. Now, where can I pivot here as we move along? Should I go the NBA route? As this is the final week of the regular season. And it's interesting because in years past, the regular season usually ends on a Wednesday to set yourselves up for a playoff Saturday and Sunday with the double quadruple headers on both days. But this time around, it's not going to be the case as the season will end this Sunday. And pretty much what we have here, and I have to start in this direction, people. I don't know any other way to slice it, cut it, whatever. But I tweeted this last Tuesday. This was after the Lakers lost to, I believe, the Nuggets. And they lost to them yesterday afternoon at the Staples Center, which to me, that just put their team out of misery. But even as early as last Tuesday, I put out, I said, the Lakers, they are not going to make the playoffs this year. And as it is right now, you can forget it because they still have to go to Phoenix, Golden State. They play at home against Oklahoma City and then they wrap up their season in Denver over the weekend. And even with them being two games behind these Spurs for the 10th spot in the West, they would still pretty much have to sweep and then the Spurs would have to lose three of their final four. And the Spurs schedule isn't easy themselves. Off the top of my head, I believe they play the Nuggets... The Timberwolves, I believe Golden State at home and their final game is on the road and it's not an easy destination. It's not Phoenix, it's not Utah. Off the top of my head, I do not. I believe it's at Dallas now that I think about it. So they do not have an easy schedule either. But the Lakers have just been a corpse pretty much all year. But to the tune to where they've now lost six in a row, they've played atrociously throughout this stretch. And I get it that Anthony Davis came back and he had some words in the postgame yesterday saying what could have been if we were all healthy. Well, he's right about that, but at the same time, there's still no excuses. Why? Because they're equal in the East being the Brooklyn Nets, another super team that had high expectations and certainly looked like it was going to be a collision course between the Nets and Lakers to meet up in an NBA final at the very start of the season. Well, where are the Brooklyn Nets right now in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, we saw them hovering about 7th, maybe even 8th as of two weeks ago. They are 10th right now. And no excuses for them because remember, they pretty much did not have Kyrie for a whole year, especially in all the home games. Kevin Durant missed about six weeks due to that knee injury that he had, his meniscus. They didn't have James Harden, who obviously did not play leading up to the trade which brought Ben Simmons to Brooklyn, and there's still an APB out for Ben Simmons on whether or not he's going to play, and he may not even play this year, which is an atrocity in its own right. And I talked about this last week, and I'll say it one more time quickly. The man has not played all year long. He makes his way up the turnpike. Granted, this was all on James Harden. But then he has this nagging back injury. All right, it's been a while. He hasn't ramped up his workouts I gave him the benefit of the doubt in the beginning but now there are no excuses the guy's 25 years old he should be in tip-top shape nagging injury or not he should be in the starting lineup and he is nowhere to be found but even with all that being said 
the Nets are still 10th in Eastern Conference. And if you could say, oh, well, the West is loaded, so on and so forth. The Lakers are two games back of the Spurs and the Lakers record is 31-47. and 47. So I don't want to hear about the West being loaded because with the Spurs are what, 33-45? and 45? I don't want to hear that the West is way better than the East. So we could argue that until the cows come home. But that is just an atrocity if you're a Laker fan to the point where I even had to ask myself, has there ever been a team in, forget about NBA history, in sports that had the expectations of this team that I called the expendables for all the players that they imported here in the offseason? Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Kendrick Nunn on a lesser scale, Trevor Ariza, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan. I go on down the list. I don't even think Jordan was on the team, was he? I guess he got cut, and now he's on the Sixers. Well, DeAndre Jordan, I take that back. Now I'm getting a little carried away because, yes, he was on the team a year ago, not this year because, of course, he was a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Then he was released and then, or as part of a trade and then released and then signed with the Sixers, and we know he's just been pretty much a statue in Philadelphia. But you get my point when it comes to this Laker team, knowing that it was championship or bust, and to think that they're not even going to make the playoffs, I can't think of another team in any sport that had the expectations that this team had to not make the playoffs. Maybe there was a baseball team that I'm not thinking of. Even another NBA team. Even as bad as any team in the history of sports has been, chances are they've made the playoffs. And yes, maybe there's a team that I'm not thinking of, especially in baseball, because we all know the NHL and the NBA, pretty much everybody makes it. And maybe in the NFL, there could be a team that had big expectations and then they landed flat on their face. But in all the years that I've watched sports, I couldn't even think of one. Not one came to mind. No one close. So if anybody comes up with one, please. Hit me up in a DM, send me an email. I I couldn't even think of one. And even with Anthony Davis saying, well, it could have been, so on and so forth, but even the Nets are going to make the playoffs because they got enough distance between them and the team that's 11th in the Eastern Conference to where it's a foregone conclusion. But for this Laker team to literally spit the bit, and especially down the stretch, there are, heads have to roll here. Whether it's Rob Palenka, this team has to be revamped if they want to make another run at it. And I don't know how they're going to do it with Russell Westbrook's contract at $47 million next year. But that's for another day. But for the Lakers to have this type of season, for everything to just implode, to fall apart the way it has, has to be the biggest joke of all time not only just in the NBA but of all of sports because could you imagine another super team whether it's the NBA baseball hockey that they've come together to get themselves back to the mountaintop and they're pretty much going to make vacation plans in the second week of April that is not only mind-boggling but it's just unconscionable to even think about And it's going to hurt the NBA because without LeBron and without the Lakers there, a lot of people 
who don't really follow the NBA that would either like to see the Lakers there to watch LeBron lose or for the Laker fan that's there to see if they're going to make a run, you're not going to have that this year. And unless the Spurs go into hiding over the next four games and the Lakers somehow, some way, pull three out of four because they're not going to sweep. They've lost six in a row. It would almost be the final nail in the Laker coffin for them just to lose the remaining four games to go into the offseason losing 10 in a row and then just to blow the team up altogether. That's how bad it's been. So now we don't have to worry about the Lakers, thank goodness. And when we take a look at the land in the NBA, and I'll start out West. We know about the Suns. We know about the Grizzlies and what they've done this year. The one team, and we can look at the game yesterday against the Milwaukee Bucks, but Dallas, and I know they played well here, and Luka's been phenomenal, but I really need to see them go deep into a postseason for me to be a believer that this team could maybe even make a conference final, let alone an NBA final. And as it is, their first-round matchup, and the likelihood of this happening is going to be the Denver Nuggets. So a Dallas-Denver, although it'd be exciting, but one of those two teams is going to be gone where you may have the reigning MVP and maybe even a repeat MVP in a Nikola Jokic cancel out Luka Doncic, who is a perennial MVP candidate, there in your first round. And even with one of those two teams advancing, they will go ahead to a second round in the likelihood and play the Phoenix Suns. So I really need to see... Luka and the Mavericks step their game up to the point to where if they're going to make a stand and really do some big things in this postseason, not only are they going to have to go through the current MVP, but they're also going to have to go up against the best team in the league. So we have to pump the brakes on whether or not Dallas is going to be that team that, ooh, they're going to be surprised in the Western Conference. And I get that they're a game behind Golden State and they could possibly be a three seed to avoid that first round matchup. And the Jazz are just a half game behind the Nuggets. So they could leapfrog the Nuggets and maybe get that fifth seed to play against the Mavericks in the first round. But that's what we're going to see here down the stretch as far as positioning on which of these teams are going to match up in the first round come a week from, I would think, this coming Wednesday. I haven't had a chance to look at what the playoff schedule will look like but I would think a week from this Wednesday is when the postseason will begin or when you think about it of course how could I forget about the playing tournaments and that's one of the reasons why the NBA is ending their regular season on a weekend is because you'll have your playing games Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday leading into Friday just like we saw last year so that's my bad raise my hand in the air So Tuesday, you'll have whatever 7-8 matchup. You'll probably have the 7-8s go up against one another and then the 9-10s. And we'll have it broken down that way to where you'll have a game every night heading into Friday. And then the teams that are standing on Friday, they'll play Sunday in the first round to where the other matchups will lead into the Saturday slate to open up your NBA postseason. And as we look at it in the West... The Timberwolves look like they'll be entrenched in that seventh seed and will host the Clippers in the first round. And then you have the Pelicans and Spurs, unless the Lakers make a late charge and the Spurs collapse. 
that's what we'll have there in your first round matchups and of course we'll handicap those a week from today and then in the east you have Miami who beat the Celtics there last Wednesday and we talked about the Celtics last week being that one seed and then losing Robert Williams he'll be out four to six weeks so chances are the Celtics may not get him until the second round of the playoffs that's if the Celtics make it to the second round so that's a key defensive piece and a key cog to their team as they look ahead as right now them being separated by a half game for the two seed in the east you would think the heat will probably take it home to be the one seed overall followed by the bucks and sixers and then you had Joel Embiid with his monster game yesterday 44 and 17 against the Cavs how he had to make a mention of I don't know what else I need to do to win the MVP could you just worry about your team first and let the MVPs come later on down the road? And that's one of the reasons why I don't like Embiid is because he's already focused on trying to win an MVP when the focus should be on maybe getting a two seed so you could play either the Hawks, Cavs, maybe even the Hornets or dare I say, well the Nets I think they could only get the eight seed so they won't play the Nets in the first round. But worry about your positioning first and just let the MVP candidacy and have those tips fall where they may and that's the one thing I don't like about Embiid although he's had a monster year and he's deserving of being one of the top two or three finalists for an MVP but when you hear that chatter this late in the regular season that's when you gotta say Joel pipe down and then you have the Bulls Raptors and as I mentioned Cavs Hawks Hornets Nets those four Chances are that it's probably going to be in that order where the Hawks will play the Cavs in Cleveland, the Nets will go to Charlotte to play the Hornets, and then, of course, from there, we'll see how those matchups unfold. And give it up for the Hawks because they've had a Jekyll and Hyde year, more Hyde than Jekyll, but here they are playing... At their peak, they had that game the other day where they beat the Nets and they shot, I believe, 49 free throws in the game on Saturday to where Kevin Durant scored a career-high 55 and he even took a shot at his team to a certain extent, expressing his frustration about how the team was undisciplined defensively, not only allowing all those free throw attempts, but giving up 122 points in the process and for the Nets to not get out of Atlanta with a victory... We know that the Nets are a very poor defensive team. And again, not having Simmons, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, he's pretty much the only guy that you would trust defensively. And the one thing that you could trust in Simmons is to play lockdown defense. Can he score a basket in crunch time? Absolutely not. Can he score just a basket overall if it's not in transition? Probably not. He could barely make a free throw. So defensively, you know that Simmons is going to be the one element of his game that you could say I don't have to worry about and because we can't find them without a GPS a telescope and a magnifying glass that's going to be a problem for the Nets come a week from this Wednesday or Tuesday whenever their first playing game is going to be so the Nets that's one thing you're going to have to worry about for those here the 40 Net fans in the tri-state area as to what kind of defensive effort they're going to put forth because as we know 
with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, they're going to put up a ton of points. And I know Seth Curry's nursing this injury, which that's going to certainly hurt them offensively. But when you have those two guys carry the mail, and we know that when we get into playoffs, it's going to be about stops and making some critical defensive stops in the fourth quarter. Who knows how long this Brooklyn Net team could be in the tournament come next week. But that we'll get into, of course, next Monday. But that's pretty much what you got there with the NBA as we pretty much covered both conferences and where we're at with the playing scenarios. Let's see, anything else to talk about with the NBA? If not, I will move on. Uh, One other thing now that I think about it, the 2022 Hall of Fame class was announced where Manu Ginobili is the headliner as well as Tim Hardaway, the former Golden State Miami point guard, Swin Cash, Lindsey Whalen from the WNBA, and I believe about nine others, including coaches. I believe Bob Huggins is on there. And again, this is the Naismith Hall of Fame. It's not the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, people. So you're going to get that college influence in there. And Ginobili, you can understand him being a Hall of Famer, the sixth man that he was, key component on those Spurs teams. Tim Hardaway, a guy that I loved, five All-NBA teams, but I believe only one first-team All-NBA. He was the one that had the signature crossover handle before it was popular throughout the league. But for Hardaway, and I'm sure he was on the ballot for many years, he gets in. Uh, Now Hardaway, he was a fabulous offensive player. But never went deep into postseasons, not that that mattered, and only one first-team All-NBA, which, eh, you kind of say to yourself, is he really a Hall of Famer? But we know that the NBA and a lot of the Hall of Fames throughout all the sports, they pretty much bring in everybody. It's the Hall of Fame of the good, not the great, or even the immortal for that matter. So just wanted to throw my two cents in on that. Let me get to, I'll say the NHL and golf for last. I want to get to baseball real quick because with the season opening up in three days and I get it, being a lifelong Met fan, it's easy to get into that knee-jerk reaction of the sky is falling, that the season is over before it begins. Speaking of a team that has tons of expectations coming into it and knowing that it's a playoffs or bust, not even a World Series of busts, which... I guess that sets the bar a little low, but it is the Mets, so it's pretty much playoffs or bust. But they had the news late last week of Jacob DeGrom, and even bigger news today, where a bullpen session will take place somewhere, I believe in Port St. Lucie, before the teams break north, and I believe they have one more exhibition game before all the teams breaking north to start their seasons on Thursday. But for Jacob DeGrom to already be out for four weeks to then be reevaluated. So it's not as if he's going to be out four weeks and then he's going to pitch sometime in early May. It's no, we're going to get back to the drawing board or back to the table in four weeks to see where his arm is at. And then we could diagnose whether he'll be ready to start in a week, two weeks, God forbid, by the all-star break. That's what we're dealing with here. And it makes you think and wonder how Jacob DeGrom, and I get it, he's not going to try to cast this big cloud over him. And all the reports and the interviews saying that he felt fine, he felt great, his elbow was fantastic, but now it's shoulder tightness. And 
you could look at the elbow or the shoulder as being one and one A. Because elbows in this day and age are like ACL injuries to the knee in football. Now granted, the timetable is a lot faster than the pitcher would be for the UCL if he were to tear that. But now with the shoulder, you have to wonder whether or not the Grom is A, going to be healthy in the very near future. B, is he even going to be the same pitcher? Because here's a guy who is slight in his build, who passed his first two, three years as a starter going back to 2014. He's topping the gun at 100, sometimes 101, where we never saw this early on. And granted that, yes, he's finally maturing into a pitcher. His velocity has gotten much stronger. Obviously, his delivery is faster, etc. But now you have to wonder whether or not at 33 years of age that the peak years of Jacob deGrom may be behind him. Yes, will we see a glimpse or two or maybe a little stretch of the old Jacob deGrom? I would say yes. But is the consistency going to be there? Is the health, first and foremost, going to be there? That is the big, giant question mark that I don't have an answer for. And if you were to ask me with my head on the chopping block, dare I even say it in that regard, but you get my drift, is he going to be that same guy that we saw in 2018 and 2019? I'd have to say, probably not. Yes, he's going to have his moments. Yes, he's going to be dominant. But is he going to be dominant for five innings? Is he going to be dominant for six innings? Will he provide more length and go seven innings? That remains to be seen. And I don't want to cast this gloom and doom on the Mets season, and especially Jacob deGrom already here on April the 4th. But we saw this issue last year with the elbow in July when he was off to one of the Dominant, if not the best pitcher in baseball already, but to have the season of a lifetime and the season of all time in the history of the sport. But to go from that in July when he was shut down to now, when are we ever going to see him? And on top of that, Max Scherzer, the guy who they signed for three years and $130 million and was fantastic all spring, now has hamstring tightness to the point where he has a bullpen session today on whether or not he may start the season off on the I.L. So how could any Met fan be proud considering we had an offseason that we could finally jump up and down bringing in Stalin Marte who had his own medical issues at the start of spring training but he's going to be penciled in right field you would think in Washington come Thursday. Mark Kanya, Eduardo Escobar, Chris Bassett who is now looking to be the opening day starter. And there was a trade yesterday, Joely Rodriguez for Miguel Castro, a rare Met-Yankee trade, which, okay, fine, for what that's worth. And I think off the top of my head, I should know this, but Joely Rodriguez is a left-hander, and we know the Mets do not have a lot of left-handed pitching in the bullpen. So that would be the main reason why they probably made that trade. But with an offense that is far from murderer's row, and you're going to have good, some good pieces, whether you're Alonzo, obviously, Marte is a good stick. Uh, we know what the offense is going to be like, but we all know it's based on these two pitchers, on DeGrom and Scherzer. And with DeGrom out, to have Scherzer carry the load, okay, fine, at least we have an ace there. But now we don't know Scherzer's status. And hamstrings are nagging. I'm not going to say that forever, But 
Yeah, they're like that gnat that's flying in your face. And remember, he's 37 years of age. He's not 27, he's not 32, he's 37. So to think that he could be in tip-top shape and he came in ready to go and all of the discussions in the offseason being part of that executive committee with the lockout and him being in the boardroom cursing and yelling and acting a fool throughout this process... Well, I wonder if all that got to his hamstring because we may not even see him opening day. But even with all that being said, I can't get crazy. I can't think that the season is over. I can't think... Of course, the Jaden Met fan in me somewhat feels that way, but no. Let's just hope that Scherzer gets through this bullpen and he's fine. And let's hope... Thankfully, we have a manager in Buck Showalter that I'm sure... His limit is going to be five innings and maybe, who knows, 80 pitches, if that. And let's see what happens. But right now, I'm not going to get crazy. Although I I sound crazy only because it's frustrating as a Met fan to see that arguably your two best players aren't going to be pitching in games one and two of the 2022 season. But we shall see how this unfolds, especially when we get to next week. And in other baseball news, Albert Pujols comes back to St. Louis, full circle, a one-year $2.5 million deal, I believe, with the Cardinals. His last hurrah, as he said, this will be, I believe, his 22nd year in Major League Baseball, and he's hoping that his Cardinal team can get to the postseason, maybe make one last push to get a World Series ring. And we know Pujols, I don't think he's going to be your full-time DH. I would think he's going to play a lot as far as the DH role, and maybe once a week he'll cover for Paul Goldschmidt and give him a blow. But this is it for Albert Pujols. Again, as his career comes full circle, we know the numbers, the back of the baseball card, first ballot Hall of Famer, etc. But I just thought to throw that in there. And we'll get into more about baseball later on in the week. Obviously, on Thursday where the season kicks off and I'll do an MLB preview. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Let me get to the NHL because the National Hockey League now is taking that turn into April with the season ending three weeks from this coming Friday and most teams playing anywhere between 68 to 70 or 71 games, I believe. So now we can get a sense of what is happening throughout the ice and believe it or not, to actually say this would be a surprise, but... We could have a repeat of the 1996 Stanley Cup Final between Colorado and Florida. Now, if you recall way back when, that was Florida. They were on that magic carpet ride of a postseason. If you remember, they beat the Penguins at home in a Game 7. That's when Mario Lemieux came back from the Hodgkin's disease. I believe that spring, and the Penguins had that playoff run to where The Panthers ended up in a Game 7 in Pittsburgh and they beat them to go onto the Cup. And then they got swept by the Avalanche four games where I believe Patrick Waugh was your Conn Smythe trophy winner, MVP of the playoffs. But there is a possibility that those two teams can meet up. Now again, the NHL is a different beast because as we all know, if you got the hot goaltender or that goal scorer that's just going to be unconscious... That could wipe out a one seed, a two seed, or a top seed in each conference with the quickness. And Florida, they've played well. They've been fantastic here. 
throughout this stretch where you think they're going to be the one seed overall as they're nine points ahead of both Toronto and Tampa in the Atlantic and they're four points ahead of the Carolina Hurricanes so the Hurricanes will look to be heard from from here through the rest of the regular season but Florida is looking very stout of course you can't count out Tampa but I don't think as I've said this before and I'll say it again I don't think they're going to be three-peating only because remember they won a cup there in late September in 2020 they won a cup in early July last year and now to run it back again to go three straight and the East is looking very formidable with teams like Florida Toronto, Carolina, the Rangers. I'll even throw in the Penguins maybe as a last hurrah. This is going to be tough sledding for Tampa to make it back to a final in my humble opinion. We all know anything can happen. Even the Bruins got to throw them in there. And when we look at the East, it's pretty much the wild card. I'm not even going to look at that as an Islander fan. To me, the Islanders have to get within at least six points. They're currently 11 points behind the Capitals right now. And the Islanders have played well here. And they're starting, they're in the middle of a seven-game road trip. Which is tough luck. But let's see if they can put any pressure on the Capitals. But in the East, that's pretty much what you see there. With the Panthers, Leafs, and Lightning, the top three in the Atlantic. Followed by the Hurricanes, Rangers, and Penguins, and the Metropolitan. The Bruins with a seven-point lead ahead of the Capitals for the two playoff spots in the wild card, and then the Islanders at 73. Then you have Columbus with 69 points, but you can forget about it. They're pretty much out of it, you would think. And then every other team in the East falls back from there. Out West, we talked about Colorado, as they'll win the Central, Minnesota, St. Louis. Then you have Calgary, LA, and Edmonton. They're separated by four points in that division. But with Nashville and Vegas being your playoff teams and then follow that by the Dallas Stars, you want to throw in the Jets and Canucks on the outside looking in, we could do that. But Edmonton, you have to worry about a little bit if they go through a stretch that they could fall back to the wild card where Nashville and Vegas, who has played well here winning five in a row, it's tenuous to say the least if Edmonton is going to be a surefire lock to make it into the postseason. Because, as we all know, anything could happen. And we've seen teams either ride high and go into the postseason on a high. Or even last year, when I look at the Canadians, remember, they lost five in a row and made it into the postseason. And we all know they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, the NHL is as unpredictable as it's always been. And now that we're into April and we're heading into the home stretch of the season, we'll be certainly locked in to see what transpires here in the weeks to come. And a couple of hockey notes here. Could the Flyers let Keith Yandel play out the string to at least get a thousand consecutive games? And I get it. It's a number in that sport, which is similar to Cal Ripken and his long streak when he surpassed Lou Gehrig back in 1995. And I get it. Yandel may not be a part of their future. I get it that Yandel is long in the tooth. I don't know how many minutes on the ice that he performs, but... For the Flyers to make him a healthy scratch over the weekend after 989 consecutive games and he eclipsed Doug Jarvis's old record, I believe it was 968. What was it, about six weeks ago? But could you let the guy play out the string? Let him get to 1,000, at least that even number? The Flyers have played 69 games, so they have 13 more games to go. If anything, you could have told Keith, hey, Keith, we understand we're not going anywhere. We want to go with the youth, whatever. 
But they could have said, we're going to get you to 1,000, you'll have three games off, and then you'll be a free agent, or if he's going to retire, whatever it is. They could have done that at least, couldn't they? I mean, you see all these other teams in sports, I'm not trying to say that this is right, because right, it is a team sport, you want to give the younger guys a look going into the offseason, I get it. But when we see all these other numbers and all these other milestones that players are trying to achieve or the managers or coaches or look to try to push for their player to get, why why not let Yandel get the 1,000 game consecutive mark and then that's it? I just thought it was a bad job on the Flyers to do that, so... And I get it, Yandel's just a bit part on this team. But that just didn't sit well with me. Even if the guy plays five minutes or even five shifts, for that matter. Uh, just let the guy get to 1,000 and that's it. And then also, Eugene Melnick, the owner of the Ottawa Senators, who had a lengthy illness, passed away last Monday at the age of 62. Way too young. I know thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Melnick family. That's just a sad passing there from one of the owners of the NHL's teams. They're not an elite team by any stretch. You know, it's not as if they was at the helm of the Maple Leafs, Canadiens, or here in the States, so one of the original six teams. But still, to have any owner pass away due to that lengthy illness, I don't even know what the illness was, to be quite honest with you, as I did my research on the one article and they didn't really get into it but at the age of 62 for him to transition again thoughts prayers and condolences go out to the Melnick family and then lastly and I probably could have brought this up earlier but I saved this for now only because it's going to be a big part of the podcast on Thursday is Tiger Woods and his return to Augusta now he was seen at Augusta Going back to last Tuesday, a lot of people on the tour, including Rory McIlroy, would say that it would not only be fantastic, but it would be awesome to see him back out there. And Tiger, just 14 months ago, in that near-fatal car accident out in Southern California to where his, I believe his right leg almost had to be amputated. And just countless surgeries, similar to Alex Smith in that regard, where... It was just going to be a long journey back just from him walking, let alone playing. And now here's Tiger Woods. And I said it then, and I'll say it now, and you can check the receipts. If you're going to talk about what's between his ears and in his chest, you knew that he was going to do whatever it takes to get back out there. Now, I thought Augusta was going to be very dubious and even highly ambitious for him to get back. Now, if the Masters was maybe in the middle of the summer, I could say, oh, I could see him back maybe almost a year and a half from the point of the accident. But now that we're here, and even though it's a game-time decision, would it be out of the question on whether or not Tiger plays in this tournament? I say not, but then here's the issue that I have. Okay, he's healthy. I'm sure he's gotten medical clearance. And I'm sure he's been playing privately I understand going back a couple of months ago, he was there with his son Charlie and one of those tournaments playing a couple of rounds. And I hope that this isn't some sort of, I don't want to say training course, but I just hope that Tiger doesn't come in here and he's just whacking the ball over the course to the tune of where he shoots an 80 or a 78 or he pulls a Roger Federer like he did at Wimbledon when he, on his comeback tour, he played, what was it? I think, three rounds and then he retired after the third round saying I'm out people peace and I was in the middle of a match 
Are we going to see that with Tiger Woods come this Thursday, Friday? I hope that's not the case. And I get it that you may be Tiger fatigued by the weekend because even if he makes the cut and he's performing on Saturday and Sunday, but he's 15 strokes behind the lead, but you're going to see Tiger at every hole throughout the course of the coverage because he's going to draw eyeballs to the sets. And even if the Northeast, where it's supposed to be nice this coming weekend, you're still going to have those people in tune to see what Tiger does and where he ends up, where it's going to take away to what's happening on the leaderboard for whomever's at the top trying to win the first major tournament of the year. And I would think that Tiger is going to not embarrass himself here. I would think that if he's 100% ready, he's going to go all in. And I would think some of that rust is off. Now, granted, he could practice and swing 1,000 balls a day and put 1,000 putts. But at the same time, to equate that to the roar of the crowd, to equate that to just the level of intensity that's going to take, and we know that he has that, but what if he's hobbling around the back nine on Saturday? Or maybe even Friday for that matter. And he just can't make it or can't cut it. Does Tiger really want to go through that? And I'm sure he's replayed this in his mind a thousand times. And that's why he said he's going to be a game time decision. I think it's good for the sport to have him back. But I certainly wouldn't want to have him back if he's going to hit the ball in the trees every five seconds. Of course, that's not the Tiger that we've accustomed to watch over the years. But this is a big dice roll if you ask me. Because, yes, he may be 100% healthy and raring to go, but... And when the lights are on, you can't question whether or not he's going to have that laser focus, but... Again, coming off of that major surgery, on top of all the back surgeries and knee surgeries that he's had over the years... Is he coming back too soon? I guess we're going to find out. Especially if he says, whether it be Thursday morning or Wednesday night, and you figure game time decision has to be... Thursday morning you would think that the tour is going to give him that but that's the good thing about having another podcast on Thursday because not only will we revisit this but at the same time we'll also preview the Masters go into more about the baseball season and whatever else that happens here over the course of the next couple of days so with that being said people let's get right to it my hero and zero of the week to close us out and you're only going to get hero and zero every Monday so you don't have to worry about that on Thursday so My Hero of the Week is going to go to Malcolm Jenkins, the former safety of the New Orleans Saints and the Philadelphia Eagles who won two Super Bowls, one with the Saints back in 2009 and of course in 2017 with the Eagles. 13 seasons, the Super Bowls obviously being the head of the Social Justice Coalition and that movement a couple of years back which has generated some controversy. All you have to do is ask former safety Eric Reed about that but it's not about that, it's about his career and what he's done and his accomplishments and for him to go off into the sunset with a very stellar career, I wouldn't say Hall of Fame, but a career that I'm sure a lot of people would love to have if they were walking in his shoes and playing for that long and to have two championships under his belt. So Malcolm Jenkins, you are my hero of the week and my zero of the week, and I promise you people, I'm not picking on him because of who he is, but... Goes out to Yankee GM Brian Cashman. Because in an interview with The Athletic last week, 
He talked about how the cheating circumstances, quote-unquote, stopped the Yankees from winning a title back in 2017. And of course, he is pointing the finger at the Houston Astros. And we've been down this road a million times. And it's pretty sickening, to say the least, because it was brought up in the interview about his team not winning a title since 2009 and how he said, well, I beg to differ because 2017 could have been our year and the Astros with everything that took place, not only in that postseason, but then winning a World Series, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. We're tired of it. That ship has sailed a long time ago. And for Brian Cashman to still have sour grapes, and we know the players still have sour grapes because if you remember last year when Aaron Judge hit that home run in Houston and as he's rounding the bases, tugging his jersey a la Jose Altuve did in the walk-off home run in the 2019 ALCS when they beat the Yankees to go on to the World Series that year. It's as if they don't want to ever let this go. Seriously, Brian Castro, you're going to bring this up? This is five years ago? And although I get it, you feel in your heart of hearts that you had a chance to go to a World Series and win where you would have played the Dodgers, and who knows? Obviously, it never happened, so we'll never know. But come on. Are we really going to have to go and revisit this again? And lest we forget that the Yankee hierarchy, they're trying to block information that could be revealed based on that same year with the Yankees cheating with the Apple Watches. Have we forgotten about that? How them and the Red Sox were involved with stealing signs, using technology on their wrist so they could get an advantage? And we all know that the reason why they're trying to block that from coming out is because they don't want to sound as foolish as they are today knowing that they have blood on their hands based on the idea that they were stealing signs using that type of technology. So Brian Cashman, give it up. You haven't won in 13 years, 12 going on 13 years right now. So sorry, my guy, you are my zero of the week. So that'll wrap it up. First of two in the books. You'll hear me later on this week. As I said, I'll talk about the 2022 baseball season. I'll preview the Mets a little bit. I'll also go into my over-under predictions as well as my World Series prediction, who that will be at the end of the day. Also, the Masters. We'll find out more about Tiger Woods. I'll get into that then. Preview the tournament as well as anything and everything else that's happening in the world of sports. I'll also recap the national championship game from tonight. Can't forget that. And I'll also have a new social media platform for the J Reels podcast that not only will you fall out of your seats, but you won't want to miss. So I'll get into that come Thursday afternoon, somewhere between the lunch hour, 12 to 2 time frame. So stay tuned for that. And as always to the listener, whether you're a first timer or been with me from day one, Not only do I thank you, but I also appreciate your participation and listening to what it is to have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. It is not taken for granted. I understand you can get your information from many other platforms, whether it's on TV, radio, or other podcasts. So knowing that you stop by and listen throughout, again, I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Let's increase the visibility. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. Once again, I would greatly appreciate that. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so at the following. On Instagram, 
J Reels or the J Reels podcast on Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels podcast fan page, and the old fashioned way, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Whatever it is that you want to send, please do so. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And again, I'm going to tack on another social media platform come this Thursday. So definitely look out for that. And if you want to contribute to the podcast, please do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, it's going to go 100% to this endeavor. The production, website, equipment for me to come crystal clear through your earbuds or speakers because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. It's been in my blood since birth. It's been in my DNA from the start to share my passion, my fire, thoughts, opinions, analysis, breakdown on any and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the championship game tonight. I'll see you right here this coming Thursday. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>